it's been good. It's been good. And it has really made me really think about prioritizing my life. I think COVID has stripped away all of the materialistic things that make us who we are. And it is allowing us to all look at each other on a surface level, Mm -hmm. right? In a raw, rare, naked form. And when we don't have like fancy clothes on or designer bags or our hair done, who are we at our core? And it has allowed all of us to do some much needed Mm self-evaluation. And so I think even the way that I'm approaching life moving forward, it's like that, that hustle and bustle mentality is something that like, I'm trying to, to, to keep away from my schedule to the best of my ability. So I'm not going to pack myself out crazy. I'm not going Mm -hmm. to overstress myself. And I'm really going to make sure that that self-care and self-love time is really and truly there. Joining me in the lounge today is Yene Damtu, salon owner of Aesthetics Salon in Arlington, Virginia. She is a texture hair specialist and she's also the hairstylist to the one and only Mrs. Michelle Obama. We talk about Yene's background, we talk about cultural appropriation. So, you know, each time we see Kim Kardashian rocking some boxer braids and people are getting super excited about it acting as though she was the one that made them popular um we're going to debunk that we're going to talk about the crown act a law that was recently passed uh, in seven states here in the u.s that basically banishes discrimination of black individuals men and women being able to wear whatever hairstyle they wish to wear that represents themselves in the workplace or in schools etc If you haven't signed that petition, I'd recommend that you sign it now. We need to get this law passed in all remaining 43 states. All right, so we're going to talk all things hair, all things heritage, all things crown act. And I think you're really going to enjoy a lot of what Yene has to share. Yene is absolutely phenomenal, a great inspiration with a lot of education to share. Grab your drink, relax, do all the chill things and and then join me in the lounge. So, Yane, what got you into the world of hair? Wow. Um, first off, thank you for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Um, you kind of hit all the main things that are like, I think the surface level parts of me that people generally know. Um, Mm -hmm. but I like to think that I'm so much more than beyond the the little accolades that people on the, on the surface level seem to appreciate about what I do in my career, but I am a daughter. Um, I am a friend. I am a cousin. I am a sister. Um, I'm Ethiopian American. Um, I'm, so I'm a child of immigrants and first generation. Um, and I think that it's really important to point that out. It's a part of my story that I always make sure to state as well as being a California native, because I think people, it gives context to my experiences and what I know and what I don't know. Yeah. I also think that it's important for you to recognize that the perspective of how I approach hair, how I specifically culture when it pertains to hair and understanding 
how we use hair as a form of expression and identity. Um, I, I, you know, there's just parts of me being a child of immigrants, being Ethiopian American, being a California native that is innately in my everyday career moves when right. it comes to the that I service. In addition to that, um, I, I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's weird. I think that I like to call myself an introvert. People are like, really? And <laughs> I tell people all the time, it's like, yeah, I just, you know, I love to share information and I love to share what I know. So I could talk because I'm talkative. I think people automatically think that I'm an extrovert, but I'm like, when I get off this call, today, like after we finish talking, I'll probably go on a run and then I'll come lay on my couch by myself, light a candle, put, turn on some music mm. and just decompress. And I really do enjoy my moments of solitude. And so I have learned to embrace and accept that I'm an introvert all the, because I think so much of, of my everyday life and my professional career requires me to be an extrovert. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I think that that's kind of, I guess, a little bit about me, went to hair school when I was 16, always had a love for this industry. Um, I'm 32 now. And so I just, I, at an early age, I just, I was curious. And I think my curiosity just allowed me to dive deeper and deeper into what it is that I wanted to become and figuring out in what part of this industry I wanted to work in um, and really figure out how I was going to make um, an impact and how I was really going to change the way that people appreciated hair and how I viewed hair that came out of my own head and how I viewed what to be, what was known to be beautiful. Right. And, and I think that yeah. there's so many factors um, psychologically, emotionally that we go through as women. And so being able to help service um, people through that transition of figuring out ways to love themselves and embrace their hair in whatever way that they want to wear it. Uh, it's fun to be a part of that journey. All right. So obviously we're in the world of quarantine, right? COVID has, how has quarantine positively impacted you? Girl, <laughs> I love COVID. Not what's going on, but like quarantine has been a blessing in disguise for me. As someone who travels so much, I was literally on a trip when, when COVID started because I was in New York probably like the end of, I was in New York the last two weeks of February. And then I came back at the beginning of March, like that first Tuesday in March. And then I left and I, I was traveling to the West Coast. And then I was like, okay, this is actually like probably getting a little bit serious. We should probably start locking down. Mm -hmm. And I closed the salon, I think two weeks before the actual official shutdown started. But it has been a moment for me to really just like this whole, like I said, that I'm an introvert and I get to like oh, do nothing. Yeah, It is so amazing. Bomb. Like I did a five hour work call prior to this, mm -hmm. which was exhausting, which was a lot mentally, yeah. um, as a creative, but it was just like, when was the last time that I could spend five hours on a Thursday, yeah. like in front of a computer in sweatpants at home, mm -hmm. comfortably in my little work, like in my little office and do whatever it is that I needed Never. to do. Never, That's right? just not common. Right. right. Um, I would be in the salon like, and I went to the salon this morning and I went to the stores and I bought supplies and I did all that I had to do, but I, I find myself waking up earlier. I find myself creating much more of a routine and a schedule. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's really been nice. It's really been good. And it's really allowed me to really shake up my life in ways that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Um, 
I just you and, and so and so I just really try to find the good in it all. Mm-hmm. Um and I I think that it has allowed me to re stabilize, recenter, refocus, regroup, ground myself. Um from a personal standpoint, um it has been great for me. Um my boyfriend lives abroad and he was quarantined here with me for three months, so that was amazing. Oh, good. Um so it was, it's just, it's been good. It's been good. And it has really made me really think about prioritizing my life. I think COVID has stripped away all of the materialistic things that make us who we are. And it is allowing us to all look at each other on a surface level, mm-hmm. right? In a raw, rare, naked form. And when we don't have like fancy clothes on or designer bags or our hair done, who are we at our core? And it has allowed all of us to do some much needed Mm self-evaluation. And so I think even the way that I'm approaching life moving forward, it's like that, that hustle and bustle mentality is something that like, I'm trying to, to, to keep away from my schedule to the best of my ability. So I'm not going to pack myself out crazy. I'm not going Mm -hmm. to overstress myself. And I'm really going to make sure that that self-care and self-love time is really and truly there. It has to be forefront and center, right? Because I feel like in order for us to be our best selves in our creative spaces or, you know, in the professional world, you've got to take care of yourself first. So I think that, you know, to your point, I hear you creating more self-care moments um, and building them into your day-to-day to make sure that, I guess, you are the best version of yourself, right? Yeah, I love that. I love that. We are creating new norms. I love it. Okay, look, so one of the signature questions that I always ask my guests at the beginning of each episode is the story behind our names. You know, um, I love hearing our names in full and the meanings and the stories behind them, where they came from, the whys. I think it's really important because I always find it a, a complete frustration when people refuse to pronounce my name correctly, right? Or they decide that they're not even going to try. That's even worse. Or even worse, they decide to give me another name just because they can't be bothered, right? So Toomey is actually a short, short form of my full name, which I've, you know, said in previous episodes. It's Ulua Tumilinu, but um, Toomey's right there in the middle of it. So I make it a point now to to have this conversation with all of my guests and, you know, really put our names out there. So tell us a bit about Yene and where it comes from. So my name actually is Yene Richa and I go by Yene. Um, I go by Yene because that's the American way to say it. Okay. But my family calls me Yene. As I said, I'm Ethiopian American yep. and my name was given to me by my father. My father named me. And Yene means mine, and Richa means only. So my name means mine only. Oh. Um, I am his only daughter. <laughs> so it kind of um, so probably explains why I'm a daddy's girl. Okay. But it's also, I don't know, I really, I take pride in my name. And it's 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 weird because for the longest, I used to be like, oh, it's Yene. And I just used to mm. say that and and never try to people like, well, how do you how do you say it? Or I hear other people around you say it and they say something differently. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, where I used to always just kind of be like, no, no, no. I grew up in Orange County, California. So it's just like it's just easier. Like when you're going through the attendance list, I know where they get oh, to the yeah. when they stop. Right. And they're like, I'm like, that's me. <laughs> that's, I go oh by my God. I used to it's do that. Too. Y, it's easy that way. 
and and as I've gone older, I just I've I have fallen more in love with my name, mm-hmm. understanding the significance of what it, I've you know I've always known what my name has meant. Yeah. But really, just embracing it again, being comfortable in my own skin, um, and just the knowing the meaning. My name means mine only or only mine, and it's just like it is. I am the, and and Ethiopian people when they meet me, they're like, oh my god is it Yene Nesh or is it Yene this or is it Yene? And I'm like, nope, it's Yene Bichon. They'd be like, oh, I've never heard that. Wow. Wow. So it's actually quite unique even within um, your culture. Yeah. So I've found more love for it. Nice. Okay. So tell me how to say it again. Yene. Yene Bicha. Bicha. Yene Bicha. I love that. I love it. I love it. I really do. I love the meaning behind it. It's, It's so sweet and so apt. Okay, so I have developed quite a love for Ethiopian food. (laughs) My husband introduced me into Ethiopian cuisine, uh, I want to say eight to ten years ago now. I really fell in love with a communal approach, right? Like with this bread of injera and you've got all your different meals, whether it's, you know, the Yetsum Bayonetu, and I could be pronouncing it completely wrong, but I'm going to go out there and try. And um, I love my Kitfo. I love my Awazi Tibs. Like, I just love how everything is displayed on one dish. And all of you around the table are like, hands in, roll up your sleeves and, and let's go. I think it's beautiful. So I'm curious to know, and you kind of touched on it earlier on in in the sense that, you know, you yourself said that it's important to state um, your culture, where you came, where you come from, because it all influences your day to day. So how much does your Ethiopian heritage influence your, I guess, your American day to day life? God, so much. And I, I think it's crazy because I didn't recognize it until I got older. Yeah. Um, again, I think being, it, it's growing up first generation African is challenging because I grew up in Orange County. So I didn't really fit in with the white kids. I didn't really fit in with the black kids. Like my name was funny. I ate different funny food. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just, it was different, right? Like the, my, my parents weren't raised here. So like it was, it was just different. And I recognized as I got older, so much of the things, so many of the like habits and, and what was allowed and what wasn't allowed in my household was really like culturally like accepted back home in Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. And I hated the fact that my parents like forced me to learn the language. I hate, like, I was just like, why can't I just be regular? Why do I have to have this accent? Why do mm. everything was just like something you complained about. But I feel like as I got older, like by the time I got into high school yeah, and I was kind of like, Oh, this is kind of cool to have another language. And then mm. when I'm relocated to DC metropolitan area, it is the largest population out of Ethiopians outside of the country. So I was like oh. extremely immersed into the culture in a nice. completely different way. So like my my ability to speak became, you know, heightened. My ability, like you were talking about Ethiopian food and I was like, hmm, I haven't had Ethiopian food in a long time. I think I'm going to order Ethiopian food for oh, dinner. Yeah. And it's crazy because when I go back to California, I would never dare Ethiopian food because we have... In D.C., you have the flights that come in every day. So the injera that comes straight from Addis every single day it's is delivered. So it's fresh, right? So I'm kind of like, mm, I'm good. I don't need because, you know, in California, it's not 
is 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 U.S. made. Like Denjara is isn't made with steak, and it's it's just different. So, huh. as I think about my everyday life, everything that I do, my one of my colleagues that works with me, one of my stylists, she said to me yesterday, she's like, I just feel like your whole vibe and how you operated aesthetics is different because of your like your your Ethiopian culture. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, really? And she was like, yeah, she's like that, just like y'all community. She's like, literally everything that I've needed, you've had somebody, like you'll call somebody. She's like, and have you not noticed everybody you call is Ethiopian? Mm. And I was kind of like, I mean, I guess just, just that's who I are around, but like my best friends aren't Ethiopian, but my best friends like have Ethiopian gabis and they have the Ethiopian crosses and like they have, they're very much like, they'll, they'll be like, let's go get Ethiopian food tonight. So I think that naturally I have, it's just a part of who I am and it's, and I'm proud. And I think it's interesting because um, you're raised to think of Ethiopians of being poor and flies on them and like feed the children commercials, right? Like that's what you, that's what the public knows. It was one of the poorest countries in the world, but, and it's still a developing country, but I don't know. I'm also very like, I love it. Like after I went back to Addis, I fell in love and I, 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 I used to go at least multiple times a year. Like I said, I was in a long distance relationship. My boyfriend was living there. And so, you know, for the past two and a half years, I was going like three, four times a year. Ah. I would go for like four days. What? 13 hour flight from DC one way and in 17 coming back. But that love was was strong. (laughs) Yes. And you know what's so crazy? It was like, I never recognized this. I think more recently I've had these conversations. It is so interesting to be somewhere when everyone around you looks like you. It's a different category. Where you could point out a foreigner and the foreigners or the people, the minorities aren't people of color. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that I'm like, huh, that's so different. And I think naturally in my social life, I have found that I've gravitated to more Ethiopians because I go back and forth when I talk between Amharic and English. And, you know, it's just the experiences, the things that I want to eat, the phrases, the sayings are so much, they hit differently when you say them in your native tongue, right? Like, these 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 uh, parables and these phrases. Yeah. When you when you translate oh, them, they lose they them. They lose it. Yes. Right. Yes. And so it's always so funny because I'm always just like, how do you say this in English? And yeah. my it's <laughs> I was born here, right? So people be okay. like, girl, different. But I'm like, I don't know. I it, it it is very much a part of me. It is very much a part of the way that I operate and how I see the world. Mm. Um, just the triumphs that you face, I think being black in America, being a foreigner in America. And then I have like being a woman in America. Yeah. Um, there's just so much triumphs and there's so much adversity that we have to overcome that I think part of my cultural lineage and ancestral relationships kind of like empower me in ways that it's just kind of like, all right, you be all right. You be okay, girl. Okay. Keep pushing. Ah. So let's talk beauty. Like, I'm so intrigued. Are there any specific beauty rituals that are, you know, quite specific to the Ethiopian culture that you can share with us? Um, I don't know how much of like, so I'm not going to, like I said, I'm Americanized. So this is so funny because when it's convenient, I'm like, I had a 
blue passport. I'm American. Although having a blue passport right now, I'm having an American passport means nothing. I know. Um, but on the other side, I'm also like, I'm Ethiopian. You know, my boyfriend always makes fun of me because he's just kind of like, you're American. You're not Ethiopian. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Yes, I am. He's like, you're American. You were born in the U.S. So I give that disclaimer because I could only give you the context of like what I think are cultural rituals. I think that the sure. braids, the tribal braids or the traditional braids mm -hmm. that you wear, depending on where you are in your life, um, is something that is unique to, you know, Ethiopian and Eritrean culture. I want to be very clear that. I think it's both Ethiopian and Eritrean culture. Yeah. We have a lot of similarities. I think that um, butter, we put butter in our hair. Ah. Your unsalted butter is like a big deal. I really, they think it's a moisturizing agent. I don't really understand the science behind it. And my grandmother used to do it to me when I was little. And I was like, oh, this is something fun. But it smells horribly. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So I never really understood what that whole thing was about. Do they melt um, it? Or do they? Yeah. So it's basically yeah. like an oil, no? They use it like an oil? Yes, girl. But I'm talking about you take it from your fridge, you let it get soft, and then you, like, put oh. it on your scalp. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. It's okay. just not It doesn't smell good. It takes forever to get up out of your hair. Yeah. It's a moisturizing thing. Huh. Um, some people use coffee, grounded coffee in their hair to color it, to cover grays. Okay. To color your hair. So we talked a little bit about your heritage. Now let's just kind of go into your career. Was it always your vision to become a hairstylist? Yes. <laughs> really, from day I dot. When I was sixteen, um, I started mm. braiding hair when I was in the seventh grade. Um, it has always been a part of me. I didn't think that it would take me this far, and I didn't. I didn't know how far my career could take me. I didn't. I don't know. Like, I just don't think that we learn in hair school about like really all that we could do. Mm -hmm. They touch on it about the surface, but there's so many of us that are just like, yeah, you learn about this in a textbook, but you don't think it's realistic or it's attainable for yourself. Right. Um, so that was kind of, um, I, I it, it was like an aha moment because it was just kind of like, oh, one door opened and then another door opened and the next door opened. And it's just kind of like, oh God, how did I get here? all great things, but it's just like, you look back and it's just like, wow. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have, you know, an inheritance or like a, a family name that got me here. It's just mm -hmm. me, my magic, my, my hard work, hard my dedication. Work. Right. Um, that, that got me here. So I understand that you got a, a BA in business administration back in 2015. Yes, ma'am. I love it. So tell yeah, me. So that's African parents. Oh, listen, I know. <laughs> if you're going to do this thing that isn't medicine or being a lawyer or being an engineer or being whatever it is, make sure you get that education down, get that degree, get that degree. I know all about it. Yeah. Well, at least it was, yeah, that, that was definitely what it was. <laughs> Um, so how has it helped you? How has it helped you, you know, in terms of being a, a business owner, a salon owner? How's that? It has been you? so amazing and so beneficial. And as much as I make fun of my parents and I tell them that that very expensive piece of paper that I've never seen um, that they have somewhere in the house, because I had it mailed directly to them, um, <laughs> I am grateful and I think that it's something that has a really allowed me to um, exceed in my career. Right. And 
not exceed, excel rather. Okay. And exceed, exceed the expectations of like the stereotypical mindset that anybody has about hairstylists, specifically yep. Africans. It's like, it's not considered a real job. They don't think it's like a sustainable uh, business, you know? And for me, what I recognized is that there are so many principles. I think not only did it help me having a degree, but what helped me is that the time and the age that I went back to school, I was more receptive to take in the information that I was learning and make it applicable to what I wanted to do. Right. Right. And that's the thing. Like, I don't think that there's anything wrong with your parents pushing you to do something or for you to go to school. It's just, how do you then take what they're pushing you to do? And how do you make it relatable to what you want to do? Right. And that's, that's the thing for my parents was like, okay, I got a degree and look, now I own a business. So thanks. You know, like, and I run a successful business because of the principles that I learned in school. And I figured out how to make that applicable to me. Love it. I love it. I'm going to come back to this topic a little bit later, but if there was anything that you wish you knew before you started your career as a salon owner, um, what would it be? What was that one thing that you're like, "Ah, I wish I knew about this? You don't have to know everything. Mm. I think so many of us think that um, you go to, especially for hair, like you go to school, you learn and that you are going to be able to do everything and you're going to service everybody. Right. And that's just not the reality. There's just, you, you naturally kind of choose a lane and pick a, a, a way that you go within within your career. And that's okay. It's good to be skilled and it's good to be knowledgeable. Um, and continuing education is key, Yeah. but you're not going to service everybody. Mm-hmm. And, um, you, you're not going to know everything and just be okay with that. You know, leave, leave room for growth. Yes. My dad used to always say that to me. My dad used to always say to me, you have, he was like, you always have to leave room. And I never understood what that meant until I got older. That's a big learn. I think that's a big learn, especially for, you know, the, the A types out there who just want to be successful and get shit done and, um, learn everything that they need to learn in order to get from A to Z. Um, sometimes it's, it's, it pays you to just kind of slow down and just accept what you know now and accept that you will continue to learn throughout your career. It's not a one and done. It's a really good advice there. And how do you predominantly wear your hair, Yane? Like, what's your typical go-to style? It changes depending on the mood. Right now I'm wearing a curly wig because I was one of the guilty culprits during COVID who started taking scissors to my own hair, even as a professional. You I had did. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to cut. And my boyfriend was like, what are you doing? And he would make fun of me. He was like, you go in that bathroom, you cut your hair. He was like, then you come back out and you go back into the bedroom and then you come out and you have this completely different hairstyle. And I'm like, that's the beauty of dating a hairstylist. Feel like you're dating multiple different women. I love it. You're a bit of a style shifter. He would laugh. But yeah, I mean, my hair changes. I'm on a definitely a heatless Mm -hmm. um, momentum right now. And I have been for a while. Um, if I do decide that I want to straighten my hair, it's generally with extensions, Mm -hmm. but I can't tell you that I have one thing. I think my signature look is a bob. Okay. That is what 
when he loves on me. It's my most popular and most requested look of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm really enjoying, I, I'm doing curly hair lately, like I said, wigs and, and just my natural curly hair, just wash and go. And I really am falling in love with it and, and falling in love with the different shapes and, and flat twists and things that I could do with it. So, yeah. It really depends on the day and what I have going on and how I much time you. I want to spend. You have to know you're talking, you're preaching to the converted. I already know, like, you know, it's all about style shifting. It depends on your mood, how you wake up, what side of the bed you wake up on. It depends on all of those different variants. And that's the beauty of texture for me is that it never has to be one thing. You can wear what you can wear your hair, however you wish, however you wish, you know, whatever makes you, you know, feel the best version of yourself that day. Okay. So listen, from Orange County to the White House, like take us through your journey from graduating from cosmetology school and then leaving home to DC uh, to working as a as a hair, as the hairstylist for the Obamas. Let's let's know a little bit about how you felt in that journey. I was one of two. I do want to be very clear about that. Okay. Um, um I had a mentor. His name was Johnny Wright. He's originally from Chicago. Yeah. And he had a relationship with the first lady prior to her becoming the first lady. And so when they took office, there was a position for him to relocate and he couldn't manage it on his own. So he offered me the position to relocate with him. I initially declined. Um, And then a month and a half later, so he moved in February and I moved in April. So like, Mm -hmm. yeah, like a month and a half, he moved Valentine's Day and I moved April 7th. And so... Shortly after I came to visit, help him get situated. And he was like, the offer still stands, you know, it's there if you want it. And I was like, you know what? Why not? I was 21. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was just kind of like, I have nothing to lose. Worst case, I could just get up and come back home. Yeah. And so I was like, sure. And he was like, great. See you in two weeks. And two weeks later I moved and the rest was pretty much history. Um, You know, I think that the point of my journey that I like people to remember is that I worked as an understudy for one of the most, for one of the most influential families and most notable families Mm -hmm. in the world. And hair allowed me to do that. And I recognize that there were things that I I couldn't do on my own. And so, you know, people, I think get so to go through the ropes um, or, you know, climb the, you know, quote unquote corporate ladder to get wherever it is that you need to, to wherever you need to, to get, yeah. but it's important that, sh- that you do all that. And, um, that was something that I did. So what has it been like? What's it been like working with, um, with Michelle? How, how has that, um, how exciting has that been for you? If, if it has, <laughs> um, it's been a blessing, you know, mm. I, I tell people all the time, she's not just a client. And I think that this is how I treat all clients. It's not, she's not just a client as a hairstylist. We know that we take on the role of a friend. And, um, for me, she's a mentor. Um, I have very close relationships with her, her family, her children. Mm -hmm. I started with as her stylist for her children and her mother primarily, like that was my focal point. Um, and so I, you know, I've developed a friendship and I've developed a relationship. So I look, past the fact that of all the accolades of who she is and take her for who she is as an individual. And I think that I value those intimate moments more than anything else. Um, And I'm forever grateful to the opportunities and the trust that she um, has given me and and, and just encouragement of me, like pursuing my dreams. Like 
when it was going back to school, you know, when it was opening my salon and just kind of having someone to kind of piggyback off of. Um, So, you know, I've spent holidays with their family. And so you, it it is more than just a client um, stylist relationship. And so it has been a true honor and privilege to, to get to know this family for the past decade and, and to really um, validate that what, people think that they are the amazing, kind, generous, selfless, giving individuals is truly who they are. And it's that those are the individuals that I've gotten a chance to know. Keep doing what you're doing. We're rooting for you. Thanks, girl. Like I mentioned at the beginning, I had seen your presentation with, um, you know, Tippi Shorter and Sam Via a few weeks ago on the Fabric of Change webinar that took place. And you shared some really great insights um, around the, I think you titled it, heritage of culture. So hair as in H-A-I-R. And I thought it was, re- you, you like hit the head of each of these nails. Like you really spoke through, you know, the importance and the significance of key hairstyles that are known to be very popular in our community um, as black individuals. And I just wanted you to take a moment to just talk through, not all of them, because, you know, I wish I had the time. I wish, you know, we had the time, but perhaps, you know, we can kind of talk about three of them and you could share a little bit of insight or significance um, to each of them. And the reason why is because, you know, you know, we've been living and been seeing a lot of cultural appropriation um, throughout the beauty industry, the hair industry, fashion, um, some key examples Mark Jacobs did, you know, he had some of his models that were majoritively white, you know, wearing uh, pastel colored locks during New York Fashion Week. Um, you have the obviously the, the well-renowned uh, Kim Kardashian uh, situation where she sported some boxer braids and, you know, somebody commented about how you know she made them popular and you know it's just really important to your point to remember where all of these styles came from so I'd love for you to talk about uh, cornrows dreadlocks and bantu knots Um, like what are the significance of those three I will start with bantu knots um, and knots um, are also referred to as Zulu knots because they come from the Zulu tribe in South Africa. Um, and Bantu is an actual ethnic group yeah. in which the, the hairstyle really originated from. And if you don't know what Bantu knots are, they're just think about like parting your hair, suctioning it, twisting it, and wrapping the twist around itself to your head so it kind of creates these like bun-like knots, right? Yeah. So like people that do top knots, um, think of a bunch of top knots. If you're not mm-hmm. familiar what a Bantu knot look up, I encourage you to Google it and to look up to get the visuals with it. Yeah. But, you know, people don't recognize how these trendy styles, right? Like how, um, what is it? Uh, festival hairstyles, mm-hmm. as I, the po- more popular people t- terms identify it you know, these hairstyles with braids and things like that really have significant historical um, and cultural meaning. And so, you know, like I said, you see these top knots, right? People are wearing these like sleek top knots and the knot comes, is the exact same knot that would come from a Bantu knot. Instead of it being 
one on the top of your head, a Bantu knot has several, your whole head is plaited and has, has these knots around it. Mm. So I think it's important for people to recognize and understand that. Um, when we start talking about corn rolls, um, you know, there is a difference between corn rolls and French braids. Um, it's, you know, if the braid is on top or if the braid is underneath, is it, or, you know, or if it's invisible, um, some people like to be like, oh, it's an invisible braid. And it's important to recognize why corn rolls are called corn rolls because the name pays homage to the similarities of cornfields, right? And so during this, the era of slavery, it was a style that was worn um, by slaves that worked in the fields because it was more manageable. It was easier. Mm. Um, it was, it was, it was for convenience purposes. And so in African cultures and in African corn rolls are also shown and it, and it signifies marital status or it's a celebratory celebration, um, or, you know, celebration, a celebratory moment in your life is, is shown through that. And it also, uh, correlates with your age, right? So nonverbal communication, um, so it's important to recognize what these styles actually mean. And when you think about dreadlocks, I think dreadlocks have got, you know, an interesting connotation because people are like, oh, dreadlocks, it's a lot of people are like, oh, it's a Jamaican hairstyle or it's a Rastaman. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's all of these like stereotypical ideas of why people dreadlock their hair. And what people don't recognize is the whole Rastafarian culture, Rast, um, you know, meaning sir or king, Tafari, Tafari, um, it's a name, it, 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 that's Ethiopian, and it's to pay homage to Haile Selassie, um, who was the former emperor of Ethiopia, and why the whole idea of Rastafarian and culture came into play and how it correlates to Jamaica is because when Emperor Haile Selassie came and he stepped foot after there being a drought, it rained. So then that's when they idolized him, and that's when that whole Rastafarian movement came into play. And I think it became more mainstream. But why people wore dreads was for um, faith beliefs, right? Mm. So whether you, whatever your faith belief is, it was that folks were reluctant to cut their hair because of the, their faith, right? Yeah. Rather than it being... Um, you know, like I just want to rebel. It was a fa it was a faith based uh, decision, and so um, there's so much meaning behind the hairstyles that we choose. Um, you know, absolutely. A friend of mine used to say, "Her crown is her glory," and mm -hmm. you have to recognize that it is a very sacred part of both a man and a woman or a human being's journey and experience and uh, self expression. And so we do have to be mindful of recognizing how we respond and react to different hairstyles and really understanding are you if, if you're going to wear a hairstyle try to do some research to really understand what it is and mm -hmm. if someone then tries to educate you don't be defensive and think that it is something other than what you know it to be because it probably you know there is always life before us Guys, you just got educated there by Yanae. And that was the stripped down version. If you want to hear the full and see her full presentation that she gave a few weeks ago, I would recommend that you go to Sam Via's um, Facebook page. He has the Fabric of Change uh, webinar up uh, in which Yanae does an incredible presentation with visuals so you can actually see the styles if you're not aware of what they look like. 
Ah, thank you for that education. It's something that needs to be shared for sure, uh, way more than than we know it to be right now. Thanks. Of course. All right, look, let's talk the Crown Act, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just share, for those who don't know about the Crown Act and what it is, I'll tell you. And uh, But first, I want to kick off with a couple stats, because I always think it's good to get some, some grounding and some numbers. So black women are one and a half times more likely to be sent home from the workplace because of their hair. Second stat. 80% of black women agree that they have to change their hair from its natural state to fit in at the office. Okay, so these are things that, you know, you and I and, you know, a lot of us black women listening to this podcast are, I'm sure, familiar with or have had that experience, right? So currently it's actually, illegal, it's actually legal to discriminate against someone in the work environment or in the schools uh, because of their natural hair or protective styles that they're wearing in every state except for California, New York, New Jersey, Virginia, Colorado, uh, Washington, and Maryland. And this mm -hmm. is indeed a form of racial injustice um, that can have a severe economic consequence for black people. I mean, if they can't work because of their hair, it's going to impact them um, economically, right? Mm -hmm. And for those who don't know, CROWN is an acronym. So it stands for Creating a Respectful and Open World for Natural Hair. I didn't know about that until recently, that it was actually an acronym. Um, and so the CROWN Act is a law that actually prohibits discrimination against our cultural hairstyles, including braids, locks, twists and even including all the styles that Yene spoke to just earlier on and it was passed in 2019 in seven states there are 43 left to go and it was first signed right here in California. Yene how are you feeling about this crown act? I mean I think it's unfortunate that we have to have an act place in place for people to wear their hair but it's the reality. I was having a conversation with someone recently and was like, I don't understand. What do you mean you have to have a, they live abroad. And I was like, yeah, you know, like it was illegal. You could, you people could not get hired because of the way that their hair looked. And he was just so confused. He was just like, I don't understand. And I was like, yeah, well, this is America and this is what happens. And so it's important for us to recognize the systemic racism that takes place yeah. within all parts of society. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it goes back to that whole thing of like, it has to be polished. Well, what is polished? If my hair is curly, natural and out, does that mean it's not polished? Yeah. Is it you not know? professional it's enough for you? It, yeah, it's not professional enough. Is it frizz? Is it, is it distracting? Mm -hmm. And I think it's just important for us to recognize that the Crown Act is extremely important. If it's not passed in the the, the state that you're living in, um, make sure that you sign the petition to get it passed. And, and it's something that needs to kind of be addressed head on, yeah. uh, unintended. Um, so <laughs> it's it just, I am happy to see that there is change, but I don't think it's ha fast enough. I hear you. I hear so. you. I do hear you. And guys, you heard her. Sign that petition. I mean, to your point, it's extremely sad that there has to be an act, a law in place 
that allows us to be our true selves and, you know, switch up our looks however we wish to. Um, and especially, especially now to, you know, and I loved that you shared, I can't tell you how much of the, that I loved how you shared the education around the meanings and the significance behind our hairstyles. Because a lot of it is exactly that. Like we're wearing our hair this way because it's part of my culture. And if you're sending me home <laughs> because of that, that's a problem. Um, so it's a shame that there has to be a law that enables us to be our authentic selves and honor our, you know, religions or cultures and heritage. Um, it's, it's a shame, but let's just go sign those petitions. Let's, let's get this law passed in the remaining 43 states now. Yeah. Okay. All right, let's move on to some words of wisdom, Yene. So obviously you are doing really well in the salon professional world. Um, is there one major business building tip that you can share with um, salon owners out there or suite owners, independent stylists out there that are looking to grow their business? Uh, shameless plug, I have a virtual business um, mastermind. Okay. Um, so... I'm actually, I, I only open up enrollment um, a couple times a year, but there will be coming, one be, one will be coming up and I share all my trade secrets. So that's, there's that plug. Okay. Um, in addition to that, I think that you always have to continue to learn and know that leadership starts from the top down mm-hmm. and you have to ask for help. Don't try to figure things out on your own. That's a big one. That's a big one. Are there any rituals that keep you grounded, you know, in this world where we're slowing down and you talked about, you know, learning how to build in self-care? Are there any specific rituals that you're adopting that keeps you sane? Running has been my therapy. I've picked up the habit of running. Um, I'm actually going to run after we get done talking today. Um, I just have had, I have found that all of us are over prescribed mm-hmm. and subscribed to digital tech and the digital space and to, the, to, the, to, the, to technology, mm-hmm. um, to all of these tablets and devices. And we're just always so connected. Yeah. And I have found beauty of like running. Yes. I use like ear pods and I'm the music, but I really do get to zone out and kind of, it's like me versus me and nature. Have you always been running though? Has that been something you've, you've done, even if it was minimal? I hated running. I all the time the only way you're gonna get me to run is if you put gunshots behind me or a dog that was it I hated to run running was not what I did at all but now it's so therapeutic well but what made you so if you hated it this whole time like what what actually what was the turning point I don't know I just one day I just started like it started with like long walks okay and after long walks it was just kind of like okay well let's just go for a run and so then you go for a run and you're like all right well this is actually not that bad and then you just it's like you start off with like half a mile and really it was like my, one of my good friends was like, um, let's, let's run. And I was just like, all right. She's like, will you support me? And I'm always like, yeah, girl, I'm going to support you on your journey. That's fine. I'll run with you. And then it just kept going from there and it just never stopped. Hmm. All right. So the next thing we'll probably hear is you might be running for a marathon or a half a marathon. Absolutely not. That <laughs> I uh-uh. She said, no, not, don't get too excited. Jeans, East African, but I'm good. That's- <laughs> I didn't even put two and two together. Uh, all right, beauty essentials. I'd love for you to share 
one makeup product, one skincare item, and one hair care essential that you absolutely love? Um, so I don't wear that much makeup, but if I do, I do like tinted moisturizer, but my, my really mascara is my thing. Okay. Mascara is my jam. I, that's like, if I really want to feel good about myself, if I have lashes, I'm good. Okay. Um, it used to be mascara and brows as well, but now it's just mascara. Um, skincare products. I'm very basic. I just wash my face with soap and water. Mm. Okay. Um, I do use like a, um, a serum on my face afterwards. And, oh, I do use um, Mario Badesco's. Oh, um, yes. I know who you're talking about. Badescu. Yeah, the rose water. That's really popular. That one's come up yeah. quite a lot in my circle. I do use that especially in like the summer months if I just need to like refresh um, even if I put makeup on, I'm like, it just adds a little dewy glow. Probably not what you're supposed to do, but that's what I do. And then what was the other one? Hair care. Skin, hair care. Okay. So I have a couple of things that I'm like actually really obsessed with lately. Do it. Tell us. Um, Felicia Leatherwood's the deta- uh, brush with the best detangling brush is life. It's great. It's life. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing I ever do with my hair. If it's like Mazzani Miracle, 25 Miracle Milk. Oh, yeah. touch it. Nice. Okay. Hair, that is my jam. Yes. A, I love to hear that. I literally, I, I will tell you. Tell today, me. Today, I went to Salon Centric. I've been calling every single day and I literally bought every single one on the shelf because Cosmoprof has been out of it. Salon Centric has been out of it up until now. Mm-hmm. I was like, they're like, we just got a shipment. And I was like, great. I'll take everything take that's the- on the shelf. <laughs> So I took all eight. I was like, need them all. Oh, so when I get that report tomorrow saying we're out of stock of 25 Miracle Milk in the store in wherever it is, DC, yeah, it's that you. Was that was me. Okay. Thanks was, for the update. I'll take it all. <laughs> what is the one thing you want to leave our listeners with today? After all of this, after everything we've spoken about, we talked about your heritage. We spoke about the Crown Act. We spoke about cultural appropriation and the significance of our classic hairstyles. We talked about your beauty essentials and wellness and your rituals that you follow to keep yourself grounded. Is there anything else you want to leave our listeners with today? You have to know who you are before you could do anything, before you could go out into the world and and show up for anybody else. You have to show up for yourself. And I think the greatest part of the past three months is I've really had to look at myself in the mirror and be like, who the heck am I? And what do I stand for? Mm. What do I represent? What, what not just like on a physical topical, like surface level, but at my core, what, who am I? And what do I believe in? And I think it's important for you. I I challenge everyone to ask themselves that like, who, who are you? What are you saying to the world? What is, what are you contributing to the world? Marie Forleo says it, she says, make money and change the world. And I think that I absolutely love that tagline. It's like, whatever you do, you have to have ethics behind it. And you have to, you have to know who you, who you are and who you want to be and how you're going to show up. And then once you are grounded and comfortable in yourself and just know that that's a constant process, right? Like you can't just yeah. figure that out and be like, this is who I'm going to be. Yep. 
And this is what I'm going to be for the rest of my life. You have to constantly evolve and change and, and adapt. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I love that. Adaptability. Know who you are, know what you represent. Make money, change the world. I'm going to find that quote. Yeah, Marie Marie Forleo. So where can my listeners find you? Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Yanae Dam Two Y E N E D A M T E W. Um, I also have a website. If you are a hairstylist, um, I have um, in my bio. You could join my business community of hairstylists, where I share free tips and inside information and kind of what's going on. Um, if you are a client and you are just looking for hair inspiration, you can follow my salon page, aesthetics.salon. Um, that's also our website, www.aesthetics.salon, not.com, um, to kind of like figure out how you can get in touch and learn more about our team. Um, but that's all I got for y'all right now. I'm working on some projects and hopefully, you know, by the end of the year, we'll launch some, some more ways to stay connected. I love, I love. So I'll make sure that all of those tags are, you know, incorporated into the write-up for this episode um, so that peeps can link out to you. Yanae, thank you so much. You've been so enlightening. Um, You shared a lot of facts and a lot of yourself on this episode. And I know you were on a five-hour strap call just before this one. So, and you still gave your full self. Uh, so thank you and I really hope that we get the chance to connect face to face in time eventually yes when the stars align exactly thank you so much take care